1: The Late Show Pod with
2: Stephen Colbert.
1: Now, folks, it's, it's the last day of Pride Month when we celebrate LGBTQIA culture. Not only a vibrant and unique community, but also a brutal scrabble rack. <laughs> and I'll tell you all about this year's Pride Month highlights in my segment... The Late
0: Show's Pride Month News Parade! Google Stonewall.
1: First up, in a year when over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced across the country, it's important to show allyship. And as always... We look to our burgers for moral guidance. Case in point, Burger King debuted a Pride Whopper with two equal buns. (laughs) Which apparently makes the burgers... gay? (laughs) The burger comes with either two top buns or two bottom buns. Because nothing... nothing says we understand gay culture like two tops... OTHERS uh, GOT THEIR PRIDE PROMOTIONS uh, A LITTLE MORE RIGHT. FOR INSTANCE, NASCAR TWEETED, YASCAR, FOR THE LAUNCH OF THEIR PRIDE MONTH T-SHIRTS. GOOD FOR NASCAR. THOUGH I GOT TO SAY, NASCAR'S ACTUAL LOGO, ALREADY PRETTY GAY. (laughs) OF COURSE, NOT ALL NASCAR FANS ARE ON BOARD WITH THIS, WITH ONE TWEETING, NO LONGER A FAN OF NASCAR AFTER I SAW THIS. WELL, IF YOU'RE UPSET ABOUT NASCAR BEING GAY-FRIENDLY, Wait till you hear what RuPaul did to drag racing. <laughs> there are also... <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> there are also Pride-themed kids' toys. For instance, Bratz has launched a special Pride doll pack. That's great, but I am still opposed to Bratz's unrealistic body image. There is no way for a girl to healthily achieve a head that big. <laughs> The dolls are named Roxy and Nevra and were revealed to be girlfriends in 2020. Well, it's nice to know we've reached a point where a brand can announce their dolls are queer. It wasn't long ago that Mattel launched their highly controversial Barbie and her friend who's definitely just her roommate, Kayla. <laughs> they met in college. <laughs>
3: they met in college.
1: <laughs> in Europe, in honor of Pride Month, Lufthansa has a plane under the banner... Love Hansa, and says the new decals show that it's a company that stands for openness, diversity, and understanding. Not to be outdone, Spirit Airlines released this pro-Pride statement. At Spirit, we embrace all people who are willing to sit in pet cargo and pay for their (laughs) ginger ale and peanuts with human teeth. Back stateside, there's progress for LGBTQ acceptance, 2022 saw a surge in small town pride events, like in Pulaski, Tennessee, a town of 7,600 residents, which featured several hundred cars, including a Jeep sporting the phrase, rednecks for rainbows. That's nice. That's really lovely. Redneck culture is getting more inclusive. Pretty soon, Larry the cable guy will have to change his catchphrase to, get er mm done. <laughs> In in sports news, FIFA has issued a warning to Qatar World Cup hotels over LGBTQ discrimination, saying establishments are required to welcome guests in a non-discriminatory manner or face termination of contracts. You know you suck when the voice of morality is FIFA. (laughs) That's like getting lectured... That is like getting lectured on tolerance by Mel Gibson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cool it on the anti-Semitism, sugar (laughs) In linguistics news, hip-hop artist Lil Nas X wants the word bussy added to the dictionary for Pride Month. In case you're not familiar, and I was not, (laughs) bussy refers to the male anus. And is a portmanteau of the words boy and another word. (laughs) Just some other word. It doesn't matter what it is. Of course, in polite company, you don't use bussy. Instead, you use the more formal vagina. Coming up, David
3: Sedaris.
0: Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network
1: an absolute treat because my next guest is the author of best-selling memoirs me talk pretty one day and dress your family in corduroy and denim his newest is calypso please welcome david sedaris welcome
3: back thank you so much it's nice to see you uh you too
1: um now you're giving this weekend you got a real honor coming up you're a graduation speaker. Where where, where are you doing at this time? Oberlin. Oberlin College. Okay. Nice liberal. Nice liberal place,
3: Oberlin. Well, I know you've done a few. I have, yeah. And what's hard is that you've got two audiences. You have students and their parents. Right. And so it's hard to talk to both groups at the same time. Do you
1: have a plan, or are you going to pick one side or the other?
3: I'm going to go back and forth. I mean, I went to the School of the, uh, the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, yeah, sure, I remember. And so... Our graduation speaker was a conceptual artist named Vito Acconci. I'm and what familiar. he had done was he built a ramp in a gallery and he crouched beneath it and masturbated for two weeks without stopping. That's, li- that's actually what he did.
1: Wow. So he's a 14-year-old artist.
3: <laughs> well, I, uh, my mom didn't know, so I explained to her who he was. And she said, you could do that. I guess, <laughs> Gave the parents hope. It's good that your mom's pulling for you.
1: But I mean, I mean <laughs> that is not—that is not in any way. That is not in any way what I meant. I mean that she was, you know, behind you the whole way. That's. I should. I should move on. So, what? What do you want? What do you want to tell the grads? What's your advice? Because here you are, you know, a sage voice of literature. You know, a famous writer, what are you going to tell the kids?
3: Well, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what do I know? What wisdom do I have? So I started keeping a list of my wisdom. So part of it is you have to be really careful about scented candles. There's really only two kinds worth having. Yes. And if you don't get those two kinds of scented candles, you have to go without and it's a hard lesson to learn. What, it's are, a hard what, lesson. Are the, what are the two kinds? Deep Teak or Trudon. And if you can't get one Deep of Deep what? Deep Teak. Deep Teak? Yeah, or Trudon. Or Trudon. Yeah.
1: And these are both French companies. Yeah. Okay.
3: I, now, another thing I was going to talk about at commencement was, and this probably happened to you, your parents said to you, we well, you want to be in the arts, you need to find something to fall back on. And I hear parents say that all the time. Yeah, that they often do. Their daughter's going to be a writer, but she needs to fall back. But I think if you... Fall ba- find something to fall back on, you're going to fall back. You know what I mean? Like right. it, so, but I think the parents just don't want their child to be broke and to suffer rejection. Sure. But at 22, you're built for poverty and rejection. <laughs> in part because... Yeah. In part because you're good looking. I mean, I don't think, as a kid, you don't realize it. You know, maybe those 22-year-olds are comparing themselves to the person sitting next to them or two rows up. But they are stunning, they just can't see it. But when you get to be 60, then you're like, why did nobody tell me? That's I mean, you if you're, beautiful. Right, and if you're gay, you want to get in the time machine and have sex with yourself. That's how bad it is. <laughs> but you don't see it. You don't see it when you're that no, age. No, you, you know? don't. Now, that's a... that's
1: a creepy message. <laughs> I hope you will... were you going to deliver that
3: message? Yeah, it's part of my... You know they're going to see this at Oberlin before you get there. Well, I got an eight-part message. Okay, good. That I'm good. imparting.
1: Uh, is any of it in your new book, Calypso, David Sedaris? No. Okay. Well, what is in Calypso? What, what is Calypso? It's your tenth book. What, what can we expect?
3: Uh, the title story is I was lying in bed one morning and I was in France and I found a lump at the base of my rib cage Oh. and it was... Uh, I Everything went to okay? a doctor and it was... Uh, tumor it was a, a, a just a, a fatty tumor a lipoma benign yeah the doctor said dogs get them all the time sure and i said uh
1: and that's supposed to make you feel better yeah
3: and i said well can i have it cut out and he said but you could but he made me sound vain for one so i just pulled my bathing suit up higher but then i started thinking that like if you had your tonsils out yeah. your cat would want to eat your tonsils Like a dog would just do it with that. If you threw your tonsils to a dog, it would snap them out of the air and then be like, were those tonsils? (laughs) But a cat would want to be happy to eat your tonsils. Sure. And so... Yeah, they wouldn't know, and you can't judge them. No. But we got this house on the coast of North Carolina, and there's a freshwater canal near us filled with snapping turtles. Oh, yeah. So I was going every day and feeding them. Those are dangerous, yeah. And I thought, I bet a turtle would want to eat my tumor. So... (laughs) I went to a surgeon on the coast and and he said, yeah, I can cut it out. I said, great, because I want to feed it to a snapping turtle. And he said, (laughs) well, (laughs) and he said, he said, it's against the law for me to give you anything I remove from your body. But they give women babies, right? I mean, how is that fair? So, oh. I went on stage. I was in El Paso, and I, I told that story on stage, and this woman came up and said, I'll cut it out of you. And I said, well, I have a book signing after the show. She said, I, I'm a night owl. And so... Was this a doctor? She was a doc. She said, look, I'm a doctor. I'm not a surgeon, but I, I took a few classes, and she said, if I, if I open you up and it's above my pay grade, we'll figure something out. And I... And I said, okay. And so she cut the tumor out of me. How? With a, with a knife. I know, but were you under? Was, was no, that... I was wide awake. Was and there I said, a local anesthetic? Yeah, there was a local one. Oh, and God. I said, are my intestines hanging out? She said, no, it's just a little pocket. It's yeah, a little yeah. Po- yeah, pouch. Yeah, No details, please. So she, um, <laughs> she shipped them on ice to my sister, in Lisa in North Carolina. Lisa brought them to the beach. I fed them to a snapping turtle. Happy to have him. He was happy to have my Dillard.
1: That's the, that's the title story. Mm-hmm. All that and more in Calypso, out next Tuesday. David Sedaris, everybody.
3: Coming up, comedian Joel Ken Booster.
1: Hey, everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life, almost, feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives, is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest tonight is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor. He wrote and stars in the new film, Fire Island.
2: Babe, you don't need a boyfriend. You just need to learn how to protect yourself a little bit more because all this romance bull**** is making you way too vulnerable. You're like an open wound.
0: Yeah, but I want the romance bull****. I like the rom-com stuff like kissing in the rain and standing outside my window with a boombox or confessing things in a gazebo. What's wrong with
2: that? Nothing's wrong with that. It's just like that. It doesn't happen in real life. The only real thing is you and me. the rest.
0: FINE, IF YOU'RE SO INVESTED IN THIS,
1: I WILL TRY AND GET LAID. PLEASE WELCOME TO THE LATE SHOW, JOEL Booster. <laughs>
2: THIS IS CRAZY. I USED TO GET GROUNDED FOR WATCHING YOUR SHOW. SO um, THIS <laughs> IS VERY wonderful. SURREAL. WAS yeah. IT TOO
1: SCANDALOUS OR SOMETHING OR I TOO think, LATE? I uh,
2: THINK IT WAS LAMPOONING A PART OF POLITICS THAT MY PARENTS HAPPENED TO REALLY LOVE. Uh, OH, so WELL, I HOPE THEY'RE WATCHING yeah, TONIGHT. YEAH,
1: YEAH, uh, THEY'RE NOT. <laughs> <laughs> THE NEW MOVIE, FIRE ISLAND, YOU'RE CALLING IT A GAY PRIDE AND PREJUDICE. YES. THAT, OH, I. YEAH, YEAH, THAT'S WHAT sure. I'M CALLING. Yeah. SURE, APPROPRIATE FOR PRIDE NOW. EXACTLY, there you EXACTLY. Go. Um, Okay, tell us how you made the connection. Have you you always been a Jane Austen fan? I've
2: like I have always been a Jane Austen fan. When I was little, we would watch the BBC miniseries uh, with Jennifer Ely and Colin Colin Firth. Firth, Yes, iconic. And, uh, yeah, that was, like, sort of my mom and I's, like, yearly tradition. We would watch that together. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Joe Wright version as well. And um, it wasn't until I went to Fire Island for the first time that I actually brought the book with me to read for the first time as an adult. And I was so struck by how relevant it actually felt to my experience uh, going to that island and sort of navigating these weird sort of class systems that gay men sort of have created for themselves. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and I went with Bowen, uh, my co star in the movie, and he, you know, I just turned to him at one point and I was like, wouldn't it be funny? if I wrote a gay Pride and Prejudice set on Fire Island, uh, and he threw something at me, and everyone booed, um, (laughs) and it just became this, like, threat that I would, you know, threaten to write uh, year after year, and then... You know, we kept going back to the island, and I would bring different Jane Austen books with me, and it just slowly started to crystallize, and I realized it was, a, you know, as, as dumb as it sounded, a really good idea. Are
1: there, are there parallel characters? Like, are you Darcy? Are you Elizabeth? I, I'm,
2: or... I'm Elizabeth. I'm Lizzie Bennet. Is Bennett. Bowen Jane? Bowen is Jane, yes. Okay. Um,
1: and Conrad Ricamora, who's in the movie, is
2: my Darcy. I think he is, you know, no offense to Colin Firth, but I think he's
1: the best Darcy out there. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Now, for the people out there, the people out there who aren't from the New York area or don't know the history of Fire Island, what's so special about Fire Island in this regard?
2: So, Fire Island, um, and actually, it's just a small section of Fire Island, um, the Pines and Cherry Grove. It's just a strip of land um, off of Long Island, and it is for you know close to a century, it has been a safe haven for queer people to escape to um, where there are no cars, there's very little cell phone service, and there are no straight people uh, either. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been, it's been a really, you know, I, it was really transformative for me to go for the first time because I don't think... A lot of people realize sort of the weight that queer people carry around with them navigating straight society day in and day out. We love
1: you. But um, (laughs) to have an opportunity to go. To have an opportunity to
2: go, you know, and and have that weight lifted suddenly, it was really, really powerful, yeah.
1: Well, uh, you also have cast in this movie uh, the great Margaret Cho is is in the movie. Is she Lady Catherine de Bourgh? No, she is Mrs. Bennett. She is our Mrs. Bennett, Bennett. okay. You a long-time fan?
2: She changed my life. I mean, she completely blew open sort of my own conception of what was possible for myself in this industry. I don't think... I mean, I can draw a straight line from All-American Girl to this movie because Mm -hmm. I think that show was the first time I ever saw myself represented on screen. Um, And I think, you know, I just remember sitting, like, inches away from the TV watching that show, just being enthralled. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I saw Margaret that I thought, Oh, I could do that. I could be an
1: actor. I could be on television. Um, you're, you're not just a, a, a performer and there's not just a star of this. You also uh, wrote it. You're also an executive producer of it. Do you enjoy being the boss?
2: Yeah, I, I guess you could, you <laughs> well, could say... Well, there's a lot of I'm, pressure. There's I'm a, a little, lot of pressure for that. I'm a little bossy. Um, <laughs> it was really gratifying, though. I think, like, I've always looked up to people... Like, you know, Issa Rae and Phoebe Waller Bridge, and like people who have our multi hyphenates and who are doing it all. And so um, to get there and actually have the opportunity to do it and to be really good at all of it um,
1: <laughs> was really gratifying, yeah. Now, I, I understand that comedy wasn't the first choice, that originally you wanted to write. Yeah, I actually... What happened? So, I went to school, and my emphasis was in
2: playwriting. Okay. I really, like, I I wanted to write, like, eventually for The Wire. You know, that was, like, my big dream sure. uh, in college. And um, I kept writing these plays that were very serious. They were, you know, about matricide and incest, and, like, the people would come and just find them to be so funny. Um, <laughs> and I was always like, what is happening? And it was just, it's just something that's in me. I think, you know, it... it it developed as a defense mechanism growing up, and mm-hmm. I just ca- I couldn't help but write really funny characters, and so uh, eventually I moved to Chicago to be a playwright and uh, and an actor, and I got really frustrated. I think with you know the t- at the time, Asian people we weren't having the conversations we're having about diversity right now, and so I got called in to be a Chinese food delivery boy like five times I think mm-hmm. in one year uh, mm-hmm. in Chicago, and I. Was really frustrated with that, and I decided to try stand-up um, because it felt like the only outlet where I could be myself and really, you know, tell an honest version of myself on stage. And the rest is sort of history.
1: There's some very famous lines. If you wouldn't mind trying something, there's some yeah. very famous lines. From, from Jane Austen uh, in general, but also Pride and Prejudice very specifically. And I'm wondering whether you could translate them uh, from early 19th-century England into modern-day Fire Island vernacular forest. Okay, yeah, okay. I can definitely try. This is possibly uh, the most famous one here. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife.
2: Um, so that one, I think, translates pretty seamlessly into um, everybody knows if you're a guy with a big, d- you have a lot of options. Um...
1: Stop right there. <laughs> Not going to get better than that. <laughs> or so I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Fire Island is streaming now on Hulu. It's Joel Kim Booster, everybody. Joel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.
0: Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: Enjoying this episode of the Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two minute survey all
3: about getting to know you.